Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. My name is Chris Rawl. I have a new newsletter up and posted on my website, chrisrawl.com. You can go there and read it. It's about college football. It's about the approach of the upcoming season. It's about the alterations that have occurred within the sport that I don't love, but also being able to still find a lot of things that I do about the sport. It's all the things that I'm talking about and thinking about on a day-to-day basis because I'm a freak and all I think about is the NFL and college football. So go to chrisrawl.com. You can read that. And if you have not subscribed yet to my newsletter, just go and do so. It's really easy. Hit the subscribe button and put your email address in, please. And thank you. Now we move on to today's show where I talk about preseason camps, what is real and what is not. For my money, the greatest collection of short stories that has ever been written was penned by the author Dennis Johnson, who died about five years ago. It's called Jesus's Son, and it is a sensational book. Those of you who have not read it, I would highly encourage you to read it because it is a masterpiece in every single way, down to the way that he writes in really clear and simple language. And much like a poet just describes these really deep and profound concepts in the snap of fingers. It's really incredible writing. And I remember the first time I read it, I just wandered around and thought about this book over and over for a month straight. Then I reread it a year later and I did the same thing. And I feel like I periodically revisit some of the stories within this because they're just that profound to me. So I want to start today's show before we talk about preseason NFL camps and what's going on in there. I want to start today's show with an excerpt from one of these short stories. It's about a man who's dying, and I think it's a great place to start a show about preseason NFL football. So this is from Jesus's Son, written by Dennis Johnson. He was snoring loudly and rudely. His blood bubbled out of his mouth with every breath. He wouldn't be taking many more. I knew that, but he didn't. And therefore, I looked down into the great pity of a person's life on this earth. I don't mean that we all end up dead. That's not the great pity. I mean that he couldn't tell me what he was dreaming, and I couldn't tell him what was real. End quote. I think about that last sentence all the time. Not joking. He couldn't tell me what he was dreaming, and I couldn't tell him what was real. I think about that because, for me, it's a great reminder of just the ways that sometimes I want to keep things in to my own detriment and it would be much, much better and more fulfilling for me if I was open and let people in and said, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm dreaming. Let's talk about these things and the ways that I'm feeling all of the things that I feel, uh, what is real and what is not, you know, within my own personal life. Now, you always hear perceptions, reality, and, and that's partially true. You know, there's a reason that cliche exists because each person kind of has their own perception of what is real and what is not. And the truth kind of lies somewhere maybe a little bit beyond that. Uh, I'll, I'll use an example to kind of illustrate that because I pride myself on being honest with myself. I try to implement truth and honesty as much as I can in my life. I require it from people who are in my life. And even within that understanding, there have been times in my life where I'm, I'm convinced in my mind, like, no, 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 I'm being honest and truthful with myself. And then as it turns out, that it's not real whatsoever. There was, this is probably, I don't know, eight years or so ago, less than a decade ago. And I, I've been a writer, obviously, for many moons. It's been something that I have been 
interested in my whole life, dating back to when I was in junior high. It's just an area of creativity that I've gravitated towards for whatever reason. So I've always been into it and I got a job in it and I'm going, this is sweet. This is rad. I'm, I'm loving life. And, you know, I'm honing my craft. I'm stimulating my creativity, all the things that I like. And during this job, I'm doing some stuff that at that time I was just like, okay, I don't, it's fine, but I'm not getting the true satiation of me at my most creative. So simultaneous to this in my spare time, I would write this other thing. I was working on it for quite some time, probably about a course of a year, just writing and refining and writing and refining. And I had, you know, 10 pages worth of this piece that I had crafted over the course of a year. And this wasn't me as a beginner. This wasn't me as a novice. This is a person who'd been writing for a long time. This is a person who, again, is thinking, okay, very honest with myself about things that I've created. And for the most part, I, I think that I know when they're bad, when they're good, when they're somewhere in between. So over the course of this year, I'm writing, I'm writing. Okay, sweet, sweet. And I get to the end and I've written and refined and done so many things with this. And I'm just like, this is, this is phenomenal. You know, I'm ready to accept a, a Pulitzer Prize. I'm going to go do the National Book Award tour. I'm feeling great about things. Just going, this is, this is my finest work. I truly did think that at the time. I go, this is, this is probably the best thing I've written. So after this year, I send it over to my editor who I was working with. And I'm like, you know, read this over, you know, give me your thoughts, all that kind of stuff. And I'm excited because I'm, I'm ready for the praise. I'm like, I'm going to get the pat on the back. Like, all right, let's just, let's send this into the New Yorker right away. You know, these are the things I'm thinking in my mind. So after a couple of days, I get it back and there's just, I mean, there's a mark here and this here and this here. And, and I'm going through and there's just over and over things everywhere. This, I don't like this. Don't think this is very good. Uh, we need to change this. Don't like this. And at the top, she's got a big note just saying, this is, you know, there are pieces of this that I kind of like, but for the most part, everything about this needs to be changed. <laughs> so my first reaction is just like, what the hell are you talking about? This is, you're reading something that is not matching up with what I wrote. You know, you must be in a different frame of mind. So I'm, I'm kind of pushing back and fighting and arguing going, no, what or not? What? And over the course of just this back and forth that took, you know, days, I finally arrived at the destination of like, oh, actually, I think that I was completely wrong. And this person who is my editor is completely right. It was kind of jarring, honestly because I truly was convinced that this thing that I had made was as close to perfect as I could make it. And I realized that was about the furthest thing from the truth that has ever existed within my life. Good reminder at the same time of just even me, I, I can find ways to jump around in my mind and convince myself that something is real when it is not. Even me, right? A person who's really cognizant of don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It was another one of those things just like, huh, I did it. <laughs> okay, go back to the drawing board and try again and just be more cognizant and aware of what is real and what is not. There's another good example I like to use about this that I've noticed within golf. I actually mentioned it on last show, but I'll expound a little bit more on it today. So many times I'll go out on the golf course and somebody who I'm playing with, they're just wiping the ball all over the yard. They're missing left. They're missing right. They're splashing it in the pond. They're hitting it into the trees. And without fail, there's so many times that they'll go, I can't even believe this. I was hitting this. I was hitting it perfect on the range. And now I'm out here on the course and I can't find the club face. And I'll always go, yeah, well, you understand those two things are not the same, right? They go, yeah, I know, but 
I mean, it doesn't make any sense that I should be able to hit that well off the range and then come out here and I can't do it. And I go, well, no, that makes complete sense. Those are not the same things. The main course that I play at, the range itself, it's you're hitting off of turf mats. You're not hitting off of actual grass. It's elevated, so you're not really gauging true distance. You're not hitting at real targets with real stakes. By real target and real stakes, I mean there are things upon the line, whether that's money, pride, whatever you want, just humiliation if you miss all the things I've talked about with golf. A real target means here's the flag. Here's where you cannot miss. Here's where the wind is blowing. You can't hit it left because you can't get up and down from there. You can't hit it right because there's a pawn and you'll have to take a drop. You can't hit it short because there's this false front and it will roll off. There's so many things that you cannot simulate in a range. And that's why I'll always say, well, there are a million different people who can hit range balls over and over. Just smash it out there and the contact's good because you're not hitting off of real grass and you're hitting off of mats that are designed to be forgiving of your contact point. And you're not hitting at a real target. So you never really have to feel, even if you miss slightly on certain shots on a real course, it could be disastrous. Whereas on a range, you miss slightly and you go, I don't care. I hit that clean. That was awesome. Let's look at this just springing off the club face. Two very different things. And it's hard to rectify in a lot of golfers' minds that those two things are not the same. And so they think their swing is in perfect form and in order. And then they get on the course and they realize, oh, that's not real whatsoever. I actually need to go and practice a trillion different times on the course in real situations with real stakes. So those things, they're bouncing around my mind because A, they're part of just that continual process of improvement that I kind of seek after in various things in my life, riding golf. Uh, And they're also really applicable to the world of sports in general. Uh, Just the way that athletes are trying to get better on an individual level and the way that teams are looking at players on their roster and trying to discern just what is real and what is not, you know? About a year ago at this time, we just had the first preseason game. Jags and the Raiders played last night. That's this year, sorry. That was kind of confusing. Um, So we're into preseason, obviously. Preseason camps have been going. A year ago last year, so we're talking the exact same time. Preseason camps are in. Preseason has just begun. And the main story going on at that time was Jamar Chase and the drops that he was having in Bengals training camp and in preseason. Jamar Chase, who he had played the 2019 season with LSU, just an explosion of offense from that team on their way to winning the national title. Jamar Chase was their best wideout, which is crazy because Justin Jefferson was on that roster. (laughs) And he's one of the 10 best wideouts in the NFL right now in present day. And Joe Burrow was his quarterback, who's one of the five best quarterbacks in football right now. Just an an incredible collection of quarterback and pass catchers. So 2019, they're just destroying the world. 2020, Justin Jefferson enters the NFL. He immediately becomes one of the best receivers in football. We see flashes from Burrow before he hurts his leg. We go, okay, Burrow's awesome too. Jamar Chase is still in college. He can't leave for the NFL draft yet. He decides to sit out the 2020 season because of COVID. So we haven't seen him for a long time. A lot of people are worried about that already. He's taken a year off from competitive football. We know competitive football, that's a different beast than just training in a gym, you know. A lot of football players have talked about that. Take some time to get acclimated back to game speed, and you just can't really simulate what real football is like. Simultaneous to that, 
The Bengals, the year prior, had had one of the worst offensive lines in football. That's one of the main reasons that Joe Burrow was hurt. So a lot of people wanted them with their top five draft choice to draft Panay Sewell, who's sitting there, left tackle. He could be their franchise cornerstone, protecting Burrow's blind side. I was one of the people who said that. Go and get the linemen, build from the lines out. You always want that. Instead, the Bengals said, we want Burrow's college teammate. He's got great chemistry with him. We'll bring in Jamar Chase and we can expand our roster that way. So there's already that argument embedded into what's going on with Jamar Chase in preseason. Very divisive. Do you want this wide out? Do you want the left tackle? They've chosen the wide out. And now we're watching him in preseason and it looks a little clunky and he doesn't look as good as we thought and he's dropping some passes and the Bengals still need offensive line help. And now they got this wide receiver that may or may not be good. Who knows? It was dominating first take. It was dominating all of the daily talk shows. And, and in their defense, I get on their cases a lot. This one was valid to talk about. Because at the time, you're going, I don't know. We haven't seen this guy play real live football in two years. We haven't seen him ever play in the NFL. And what we've seen in these brief preseason and preseason camp moments is not really good. So I'm sitting there on the fence just going, oh, this could, this could be bad for the Bengals. Now, I want to read two things about this. Just to kind of illustrate the way that preseason is not real in some ways and can be real in other ways. Uh, in the case of Jamar Chase, Proved to not be real because this first thing I'll read, it comes from the start of September, 2021. It's before the season had begun. And then the next thing I'll read comes from the end of October, 2021, two months into the season. So this is the first part. It's from Brian Diardo of CBS Sports. Jamar Chase is undoubtedly happy to leave the 2021 preseason in the dust. The number five overall pick in this year's draft, Chase dropped several passes during the preseason. His issues continued on Monday as Chase failed to put down an intermediate pass from Joe Burrow during a drill involving just the two players. Chase took questions regarding his drops head-on during his Monday media session. And while he said that opting out of the 2020 college season as well as differences between college and pro football may be contributors, Chase thinks the main issue has been a lack of executing basic football fundamentals. Lack of focus, Chase said, while adding that he also needs to focus more on looking the ball in, via Jay Morrison of The Athletic. I have to look the ball all the way in. Lack of concentration. Just watching the ball into my hands, there was a lack of, and it showed. End quote. So you take a pause there, and at the time you could interpret it in one of two ways. One, that's true, and he's telling the truth, and he would know better than us because he is the person in his own mind. Or this is a problematic sign, and he is lying about this, and that will come to fruition when we watch him play real live NFL games. This is the point that we're at at the start of September 2021. Now, here's where we at, or here's where we are at at the end of October 2021. This comes from Ben Baby of ESPN. Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow stepped up for his post-game news conference with something on his mind. Following the team's season-opening win over the Minnesota Vikings, as he walked up to the microphone, Burrow crossed paths with rookie wide receiver Jamar Chase, his former LSU teammate, who caught five passes for 101 yards and a touchdown in his NFL debut. I thought he was dropping everything. Burrow sarcastically quipped to the gathered media as he took his seat. Burrow was referencing the dominant preseason narrative surrounding Chase that almost felt too bizarre to be true. The fifth overall pick, once the best receiver in college football, suddenly was unable to catch. While some hyperbole took hold of the situation, the facts remained accurate. Chase, who opted out of the 2020 college season to focus on the 2021 draft, had indeed struggled with the transition to the pros. Fast forward two months into the season, and the whole ordeal seems like a fever dream. The same guy who was dropping passes against the air in preseason practices 
is now one of the best receivers in the NFL, end quote. But you can fast forward now into present day, and for my money, he is the best receiver in football one year into his career. Pretty crazy to look back at what we thought of him a year ago and the talking points. And, and again, I include myself within this. I was not sitting there going, Jamar Chase is going to be the best receiver in football in one year. Just you watch. I was going, oh, this is, this would make me incredibly nervous if I were the Bengals. And this could be one of the biggest whiffs in a long line of whiffs from this franchise. And now the real Jamar Chase has been manifested and it's just, oh, so you're the best receiver in football. Uh, cool. Well, looks like the Bengals hit a home run with that draft pick. And as it turns out, I was dead wrong on who they should have been drafting. That's what this time is about. You know, what is the real version of a player? Uh, what are they showing in practice that is translatable to real live action and what is not? Uh, because those two things are different, you know? Jamar Chase drops passes against air and the whole world seems like it's ending. And then you put him in a game and you go, oh, this just might be one of those competitor things. Just you get this guy engaged. We've seen him before do the, or we've seen him do this before at LSU. You put him in situation with stakes and he's the inverse of the golfer hitting off the mat on the range and piping everything and then getting on the course and pissing their pants. He's the guy who can't find it in him on the range because he's just like, I don't care. This, what, what are we talking about? And then you put him out there on the course with stakes and he goes, I'm going to just Randy Moss everybody. I'm going to have 100 yards and touchdowns every single game. What is the real version of a person? That's, a, that's, that's an interesting question in life. I actually have been thinking about that recently. I kind of had an epiphany on this thing because I always think of, of stuff in terms of me, you know, more selfish terms. Actually, we all kind of do that. I just admit it more than I think a lot of people do. But I, as I thought about just this idea of a real person, you know, the real in air quotes, selfishly, I, I always want to believe that the real version of a person is the one that I know. I think that's the way that the brain is trained. Just, okay whether it's a friend or a romantic partner or a family member, anybody that you're close with, you always are trained in your mind and feel that the real person is the one that you know. So if you hear anything or see anything that goes contrary to that elsewhere, you go, oh, well, that doesn't match up with the real person. You know, that's just kind of a blip on the radar. That's some aberration. And when you have to come to terms with, oh, I might not know the real person, I might know snippets of them, but the real person might be manifested elsewhere. That's kind of a really strange thought. And, and I was talking this over the other day with one of my friends, just because we have weird conversations like this. And it was kind of an epiphany moment of like, oh yeah, I might not know people as well as I think. It's just something to be aware of. I'd not say that it helps me or hurts me in any way, but it's just something to think about uh, in relationships. And also makes it even more valuable when I search after that and go, oh, I feel very confident that I know the real person here. That's really cool because it's hard to get to a point where you know the deepest uh, part of a person, right? So transitioning back to football and preseason camp and the preseason itself, two things that seem not important. In some ways they are, in some ways they aren't, you know, but the individual level, it's, it's about being honest with yourself about what you are and what you can be. Those are two different things. You hear... Football players talk a ton about this feeling of imposter syndrome. That's a thing that everybody has felt in a lot of different ways. I felt that within my own life in a lot of different situations I've been putting, including professionally. I've talked to a lot of professionals about that in the tech and the business world where they go, I was way out of my element. 
And I'm talking people who are really high level uh, supposed gurus and, and thought leaders and all those dumbass words that are used within the business world. They're just like, yeah, you know, the fake it till you make a thing. That's kind of real. Nobody's really truly equipped to just be thrown in and they're automatically good to go. You just kind of like find your way. That's true on the football field too. The vast majority of players, they talk about the transition from college to the NFL. You get into your first preseason camp and you're like, uh, do I actually belong here? These are grown ass men and they know what they're doing. And I'm trying to learn a new playbook and make this transition from a speed and power perspective from college to the NFL. And there's just a million other things going on. And there's a lot of, I'm not sure. And then slowly but surely, a lot of these players find their way and they look back on that as just kind of the baptism by fire moment. There's the select few that are just, they're ready to go from the get-go. And they're like, no, 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 no. You put me in this preseason camp and I'm ready to ball out. And you're going to know from day one that I'm here and I'm going to be a star. That's very rare, but you still see that simultaneously. The vast majority of people are somewhere in the midst of that, you know? Um, so the team's sitting there going, okay, let's decipher what's real, what's not. And essentially what that means is what is going to translate onto the field on Sundays in autumn. That is what right now for the next month is all about in the NFL. Now, the, the team that I'm obviously paying the closest attention to in preseason is the Packers because they're my favorite team. And Romeo Dubs has been the talk of Packers preseason camp. Rookie wide receiver drafted out of Nevada. Not even their first wide receiver drafted. That was Christian Watson from uh, North Dakota State who has not been playing because of a, some sort of leg injury. Packers wide receiver room, we know, is just barren as the Sahara Desert. There's nothing there. And so any flashes from anybody would just be grabbed onto by Packers fans and media alike. Now, Romeo Dubs has been popping every single day in practice. Every single day. He's showing his speed. He's showing his hands. He's burning people on routes. He's just doing all these things that the more they build up, the more I'm getting giddy going, okay, okay, I need to temper my expectations because what is actually reasonable to expect from this player right now? He's a rookie mid-round draft pick. He played at Nevada. That's a far cry from playing in the NFL. Uh, but the Packers, they have Al Nazard and Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins. They just don't really, there's not people there to throw to. So what could this guy be from the get-go? That's what the Packers are in the midst of trying to determine. Now, Romeo Dubs is interesting because as we talk about just kind of this theme of what is real and what is not, 40 time versus game speed are two very different things. And I think a lot of times we will get lost with the 40 speed. And I'm hoping that is the case with Romeo Dubs. There's still, we have not seen him play a real NFL game. So this could be all a bunch of hullabaloo for nothing. And then he plays and we're like, oh, okay, this guy's fine or not good. And just back to the drawing board. Al Lazard, you're the number one. Let's go from there. Um, there's also a chance that he pops and suddenly he's an integral piece of the Packers passing game. And we have another examination of 40 speed versus game speed. Think back to the mats versus game situation. It's probably another good comparison because 40 speed, it's straight line. There's a lot of coaching that goes into how to run a 40 now, getting out of your break, that kind of stuff. Things that, you know, very rarely are, are you going to do this on a, on a football field. It's cool to show that you're fast, but what's cooler is showing you are fast in a game, either with a cornerback bashing you or with the football in your hand. So Dubs at Nevada was a vertical threat, just a true burner. I watched him a bunch, him and Carson Strong. 
because I watch weird, nerdy, broke down football games. And Nevada was a team that I enjoyed watching because of that connection. So when the Packers drafted him, I'm like, okay, sweet. And then I'm looking at his 40 time and it's, you know, four five-ish. And I'm going, uh, well, it seemed like he was faster, but yeah, maybe it was just Nevada in the competition. And sometimes that happens. Okay, whatever. And then you're watching him in practice. And he's going against Eric Stokes, who ran a 4-2, who's just a true burner. The reason they draft him out of Georgia is this athletic freak. And Romeo Dubs just roasting him. And I'm like, uh, okay. There's a highlights being passed around where he beats him out of the break. And there's a bunch of highlights from last year where Stokes would get beat initially and just would use his speed to catch up to the wide receiver because he's fast as hell. And so Dubs beats him out of the break and he's just running vertical down the sideline and he just dusts him. Just the, the gap widens and I'm like, okay. That means something because I know how fast Eric Stokes is and now I'm really intrigued by Romeo Dubs and I want to see him in the preseason, but I really want to see him with Aaron Rodgers throwing him the football. It's kind of the, it's the football version of book smart versus street smart. You know, the person who can put stuff down and take tests really well and the person who can apply concepts in life and sometimes there's not necessarily a crossover. There's another player on the roster for Green Bay who's a great example, Aaron Jones, who didn't run a great 40 time out of UTEP. A smallish tailback who wasn't running super fast. You can understand why he fell to, I believe he's a sixth rounder. And <laughs> you would never watch Aaron Jones in a game as a professional and think that this guy ran a bad 40 time because he's, he's a home run hitter. He gets a little bit of daylight and he's just gone. He's a burner, right? Different, different, different stuff. 40 speed versus game speed. So this is all part of the equation, you know, trying to discern what's real, what's not. It's just, it's really hard to do in defense of NFL teams and players and all that kind of stuff, the ways that I've ex or described in my own life, it's really hard to discern what is real and what is not a lot of the times for me as I try to improve and be better at the stuff that I want to be better at. So another great part of preseason camp and preseason is the musical chairs at quarterback, who's where, who is going to pop, what rosters are ready made and just need a quarterback to maybe even be adequate. You know, you're looking at, Carson Wentz moving to Washington or Matt Ryan to Indianapolis or uh, Baker Mayfield on Carolina or Mitchell Trubisky at Pittsburgh. That's a good example because Pittsburgh made the playoffs last year because their roster is really good and Ben Roethlisberger was atrocious. One of the worst quarterbacks in football and still the Steelers made the playoffs. So we understand, okay, well, let's, even if we get that quarterback play, we could still make the playoffs, but maybe improve on that a little and who knows what we could be. So they have a reclamation project with Mitch Trubisky trying to see if they can milk anything out of him. And they drafted Kenny Pickett and they have Mason Rudolph. It's a three-way battle. And Trubisky has been the one that they're hoping kind of seizes the reins. He's been the one who's getting the first team reps in practice. It's like the, um, it's a team that's hoping for the Ryan Tannehill style resurgence. The quarterback that was on a team, Tannehill on the Dolphins, where he just looked like complete shit. And then he got traded for cents on the dollar to Tennessee and nobody really thought anything of it. The next thing you know, you had a top half of the league starting quarterback paying him nothing and you traded nothing for him and Tennessee's making the AFC title game and making the playoffs and you go, damn, that's, that's an incredible trade to have made in retrospect. Nobody could have seen that coming and now that we're here, Ryan Tannehill's a good starting quarterback in this league. That's what Pittsburgh's hoping for with Trubisky. Could be, could be realistic. I mean, there were, Points that Trubisky flashed in Chicago. There were a lot of other times where he just looked like complete shit. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows, right? So I was reading just kind of a bounce around stuff. I was browsing through the athletic and reading stuff on ESPN. And I came across this 
uh, thing from Mark Cowboy. He's the beat writer for The Athletic for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he's talking about Trubisky's performance in preseason so far. Because I'm interested in that. Well, I'm just interested in football in general, and I'm interested in how that quarterback situation shakes out, especially for gambling purposes. I want to know, okay, what should I be expecting out of Pittsburgh as a team? And they were running this drill. It's called the seven shots drill. It's just the offense, first team offense versus first team defense. It's seven plays from the two yard line, and you just count who wins more plays. Offense, if they score, they win. Defense, if they stop them, they win. You get it? So that Mark Cavalli writes about this drill and Trubisky's performance within it. And I want to read a, just a quick paragraph about it. If you're gauging Mitch Trubisky's camp so far based on the seven shots drill, then it's not a pretty camp for the veteran free agent signing. Trubisky converted three of four the first day the Steelers ran the popular drill, but has struggled since. He came into Tuesday's practice having missed on 12 consecutive reps in the drill. Tuesday, or Trubisky wasn't able to convert in four reps, extending his skid to 16 consecutive non-scoring plays for the duration of camp. He is three of 20, end quote. So that's a terrifying stat, terrifying stat. Now, the Steelers also have a good first team defense. And you're also trying to discern, okay, this is preseason. What does this mean? You know, is this a Jamar Chase dropping a bunch of passes kind of stat? Or is this just Trubisky being what Trubisky has been for the most part in his NFL career? Not a good quarterback. You know, this could mean everything. It could mean nothing. We could look back and laugh in four months as the Steelers are... 12 and five and Trubisky's put together the best season as a pro. And we go, huh, who cares? The Steelers had a good defense and he didn't convert these drills. It doesn't matter. It's not real. It's not, it's not Sundays in autumn. And that's what I care about. Or it could be just maybe a little bit of a window into when you get to Sundays in autumn, if he's your starting quarterback, you're going to struggle like hell to move the football. Could be everything could be nothing yet to, yet to be seen. Right. Um, as I think about preseason, there's a really funny, it's kind of stopped because everybody got onto the bit, but there was a long stretch of years starting back in probably 2011-ish where Packers would go into preseason camp and Rodgers would throw interceptions within preseason camp. And people would freak out. They'd go, oh my gosh, he's getting less accurate. What's going on? What's going on in his mind? And he'd do it. He'd throw a bunch of interceptions. And at first, the first year it happened, I was like, what is going on? And then they go into the season and he just torch everybody. And I'm like, okay, whatever, who cares? Now, after a while, we started to understand what was going on there. And then Rogers has spoken to it of just like, well, actually I use preseason as a way of testing my own receivers. So I'll throw balls that are not that good because I want to see how they react to them. And I want to see if they're going to fight off cornerbacks or fight for this ball that is going to be picked off stuff like that. Just like weird Aaron Rodgers mind games to test out his rookie wide receivers or his free agent signing wide receivers, people who he doesn't have chemistry or rapport with. He'd throw these balls and the defense would be pick him off and everybody be going, oh my gosh, Aaron Rodgers is getting worse. This is going to be crazy. The Packers are going to piss their pants this season. And then we get to the season and Aaron Rodgers would win an MVP. It's kind of the, the, the start of Packers uh, season in, in real. First time that people go, Aaron Rodgers is throwing too many picks. What's going on? And then he plays 16 NFL games and throws four picks. That's just the way that this works. So all of this stuff could mean things. It could be nothing. You never know. You never know what is going on with uh, preseason and preseason camp until we've actually seen it on the field in real live game settings. I mentioned quarterbacks and uh, just people who have pressure on them because they're stepping into a situation that is good. 
and you need to be better than you have been. Uh, Tua Togavaloa with Miami. He's the other one right now. He's probably the person actually who is being talked about the most in preseason camp because he has so much pressure on his shoulders. Miami's roster is good. And they've shored up the offensive side of the ball. They've made some great acquisitions along the offensive line. They acquired Tyree Kill. They already have Mike Kosicki and Jalen Waddell, just some playmakers to get the ball out to. And so now it comes down to, Tua, we spent a top five draft pick on you. We picked you over Justin Herbert. Holy shit, that is just, that's going to haunt us for the remainder of time. But at least if we put you in a great situation, could you be a, a reasonable starting quarterback? Let's start there. A lot of pressure on his shoulders. So the Dolphins want this to work because they spent a top five draft pick on him. And so they're shown preseason clips and it's him throwing deep balls to Tyreek Hill, you know, just him without anybody around throwing to Tyreek Hill running down the sideline on in stride. It looks great, you know, great completion against air. The problem is Tua so far in his NFL career has not shown the willingness and the ability to stretch the field vertically. So it's kind of a gamble to get a player like Tyreek Hill because that's one of the great things that he provides to a roster. Uh, I actually was reading stuff about Tua and I came across this stat because sometimes I think things and they're not, they don't necessarily match up with the numbers. With Tua, I always am going like, this guy just doesn't want to stretch the field. He wants to pea shoot. He wants to check down. He wants to run five yard RPO slants. And I came across this from Ben Solak of the Ringer that matches up with what I have been watching. Here's Tua on five to seven step drops, i.e. offenses trying to throw deep passes. He is pressured at below league average rate and is 40th in average depth of target and 30th in adjusted net yards per attempt out of 46 quarterbacks. Those numbers are from Sports and Info. He is a quick underneath passer. It's just how he plays, end quote. So this has been the case throughout his career with Miami. Every time I watch him, I'm just like, could you throw a ball beyond 15 yards? I feel like I'm watching late stage Drew Brees, where his arm strength literally could not throw the ball beyond 10 yards. So defenses would just clamp down 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage and Sean Payton and Drew Brees could make it work because they're masters, but come playoff time, it was really hard to move the ball. Two has been like that just throughout his career with not as good play calling behind him. And now, moving into this next season, I'm going, well, okay, so in the past, you are pressured at a below league average rate on five to seven step drops. You're dropping back with the intention of throwing long. You're not getting pressure compared to your peers. And you're still 40th out of 46 quarterbacks in your average depth of target. You still want to throw short. That's not going to take advantage of what your roster currently has. Waddle's a burner. Gasicki can get down the field. And Tyreek Hill has been the most explosive weapon in football for the last five years. To take advantage of that acquisition, you have to stretch the field vertically. That's what he provided Kansas City. It wasn't just when he had the ball in his hands, when they get it to him short and intermediate and long. It was the gravity that he can pull a defense because they knew at any given moment, Patrick Mahomes would just kick back and throw it 70 yards downfield whether or not he was pressured and Tyreek Hill could run under and score a touchdown. Can Tua replicate that with Tyreek Hill? Big, big, big question. He's doing it in practice against air. Will that translate onto the field on Sundays? There's a bunch of things I could go down because now I'm getting way in the weeds with football and I'm reading about it and I'm just I'm salivating it. How close we're getting, but it's still kind of far. And I'll end today's show it's kind of a capstone to Tuesday's show, strangely enough, because as I'm talking about what is real and what is not and just kind of perception is reality and all these things, I'm reading Dennis Johnson. 
the thing that came out yesterday that caught my attention and it first made me laugh. And then I read some of the quotes and I go, I really like that. And I want to save one of those for the show. It was about Aaron Rodgers, and he's talking to, I can't remember the dude's name. It's on some podcast, but he's talking about going down to South America the last two years and using ayahuasca and how it was this big mind opening experience and actually really allowed him to ascend to the best of his abilities on the football field. And he said, you know, it's partially why I won the MVP the last two years. It was just, I thought things about myself that weren't necessarily true. And I had this hallucinogenic experience two different times. And I think differently and try to go about my business differently than I used to do, which, you know, at first I kind of laugh uh, and, and uh, on another plane, I go, I really like that. You know, that's kind of the search that all people are after. Just that search for truthfulness inside yourself. Uh, how do I not lie to myself? Sometimes it's hallucinogenics. Sometimes it's other things, you know, just be simple process of doing whatever it could be religion. It could be, there's so many different ways that people strive after that for Rogers. It was going to South America, doing ayahuasca. And he gave a paragraph quote that I think I, I want to end today's show with because his words align closely with the entire show from Tuesday and they align closely with one of the repeating principles of the show and of my life. Just that pretty simple but really complex search for if you feel love and passion in your heart towards something, you owe it to yourself to pursue it. It's something that I really try to do. It's the thing that motivates me and pushes me to do things. And as I was reading through this Aaron Rodgers interview, um, he gave some words that really kind of echoed that. So I will end today's show on that. Uh, go and enjoy your weekend. And here they are. I've dealt with a lot of disappointment in my career. A lot of incredible moments, highs and great wins, win a Super Bowl, win MVPs, I've also dealt with the disappointing losses, some that stick with you forever. But at the core of it, there's such a love for the game. There's such a deep and intense love and gratitude for what I get to do. You cannot measure it. That's why I keep wanting to come back and play and literally pour my soul into my sport and the relationships with the guys and the Monday to Saturday grind and the meetings and practice and the side conversations and the late night texts everything that goes into doing what I do. I do it because I love it. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Don't forget to sign up for my newsletter. It's simple. You go to chrisrawl.com, you hit the subscribe button, you put your email address in, you will get a newsletter every Wednesday. Go and enjoy your weekend. We are getting closer, closer, and closer to football. I cannot wait. Peace. Peace.